All right, friends, we're continuing our walk through Lamentations. So if you would turn in the Pew Bibles, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, to Lamentations chapter 4. Lamentations chapter 4, and I think it's 689. 689 in the Pew Bible. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it is a real document. Not only is it true, but it is real to life. And a lot of times, if you look at other religious literature, it is a little disconnected from the way the world actually is. But the Bible is not just a list of nice sayings. It isn't just a list of what you should do. It isn't like a, a glossary or a catalog of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But it's a bunch of stories. And in fact, we're encouraged by this story of, of Israel as they have seen their homes destroyed, as they've seen their temple destroyed, as they have been thrown out of the promised land and they have been taken to a land where a people of a language that they don't understand and a culture they don't get. And we, you know, we, we looked at Lamentations 3 and we heard about the Lord's faithfulness, his unfailing love, his steadfast love and his mercies that are new every single day. And, and a lot of times what can happen is we can we can hear about this this great hope and we can say, oh, man, man, I, I went through the I went through the valley and I can't wait to get out of this valley. And we can uh, we can think that automatically we we're supposed to now chapter four come out of the valley and then all of a sudden they're supposed to be bursting light. <laughs> and, the, and, and, the, and the reason why the Bible is so real is because that's not true to my experience. and It's probably not true to your experience either, is that all of a sudden I have a really horrible time of suffering and then all of a sudden it's all it's all great see what happens is lamentations 4 reminds us that we step outside of the suffering and then all of a sudden there's cloud cover <laughs> there's still darkness sometimes and there's still suffering there's still problems there's still pain why do you think the lord does that why do you think the lord does that well i think it's because he knows that we are frail that we need to be reminded that we're not the only ones going through suffering and pain and that it's not just a quick fix. It's not like you repent of your sin and then all of a sudden everything's okay. It's not as though you go through a valley and then all of a sudden you're on a mountaintop. You see, we can oftentimes assume that, can't we? And I can, I can be really clear with you is that the greatest growth in my life, the, the time in my own life when the roots, roots of my faith have gone down the deepest have been in those valleys. Because if, quite frankly, if you take that analogy even further, what grows on the top of a mountain? Nothing. There's no vegetation on the top of a mountain. And so the Lord does his best gardening work in the valley. And he wants us to walk through the valley. As I walk through the valley, yes, there is a mountain on the other side, but we are called to walk through that. We're called to engage with that in a bona fide way, not just some kind of cursory type way of saying, yeah, man, I can't wait till my days are coming. Well, it is it is a coming, but maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day. And Lamentations is a reminder that your day is a coming, but it ain't coming right now or when you think it should, because God hasn't done his work totally yet. And so let's just read. I'm just going to read Lamentations for the whole chapter. And then I'm going to um, share with you just just uh, one observation I have from this passage. And just kind of tease that out. So if you would, Lamentations chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. 
The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth didn't believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass, and you shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. You see, this chapter is pretty heavy, isn't it? It's pretty harrowing. And it, like all the other the previous three chapters, is also an acrostic. And I want to remind you that the reason for this, where each one of these verses is A, B, C, D, E, F, and so forth, all the way to Z in the Hebrew alphabet, is to show the utter completeness of sadness. The utter destruction of God's people, but that there is still order in the midst of chaos. That's, that's what this acrostic is supposed to tell us. And that in the midst of all of this disgusting, horrible things, that God is still in control. God has still got some kind of rhyme and reason for what he's doing. 
And so the main point of this passage is simply lament. Is simply lament and, and sadness. But our message this morning, I want to highlight a fundamental point. A fundamental point as to why this sadness and chaos and destruction has come. It's not the main point of the text, and I'm going to, I'm going to say why. Because I think I've, I've alluded to this before, and particularly in chapter 2 where this is the case. But the question is, why has this happened? So the main point of of this message is that God's people, all of God's people, are called to lives of holiness. Let me just ask quite frankly, when we were confessing our sins a moment ago to God, was, was that something that you were confessing your sin? Lord, I have not lived a holy life. Because I would say fundamentally, what Lamentations is about is that God's people were not living the holy lives that he had called them to live. And quite specifically... The prophets and the priests hadn't been living the holy lives that they were called to live. Do you remember in the book of 1 Samuel, there's a priest named Eli. And he's got two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And I think that that really is the paradigm for what we see in Lamentations, for why God forsakes his people. Because he says to Eli, you will not be a priest anymore because you are a faithless man. Your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are faithless priests. They don't live the holy lives that they are called to live. And so Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas are, are killed. They're dead. Because they failed to live the holy lives that God called them to live as his priests. And this is at root what's going on in Lamentations. Why Israel is kicked out into the wilderness. It's because God's priests hadn't been living up to what he had called them to live. And you see this in verse 13, don't you? Go to verse 13. He says, this, all of this stuff, everything, verses 1 through 12, and in fact, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 4, verse 12, I would argue, is is this. This, verse 13, this was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. And that that indictment goes from verse 13 all the way to verse 16. He says the priests were not living in accord to what they were called to do. So the direct application of our lives is be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you follow. Just because somebody looks the part, just because somebody is eloquent in their speech, just because someone looks like a priest, smells like a priest, acts like a priest, doesn't mean that they're a priest. And in fact, that's the story that we even heard about the Sadducees, right? That they can get so wrapped up in the jot and the tittle that they forget that we are called to live resurrected lives. We're called to live for a greater world than what the Sadducees could see. And so the religious leaders, even of Jesus' day, struggle with this. And I would argue that the religious leaders of our day struggle with this as well. Simply having a great following simply having a whole bunch of people following someone, you can't say, well, God's obviously doing something. Well, he's always doing something. He's always doing something. And in this case, he was bringing judgment on God's people. But, let me be really candid, Israel couldn't blame their priests, could they? You couldn't point to Hophni and Phinehas and say, man, I I sinned because they made me sin. The devil made me do it. Well, no, not really. 
No, we have to take responsibility for our own lives of holiness. Because even when there's a Hophni and a Phineas, there's still a Hannah, right? There's still a Hannah who who cries out to God, who prays. There's still a, Sam, uh, 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 still a Samuel who who is who prays faithfully to God and says, "Lord, I'm listening. Tell me what you want me to hear." And I would argue that you can't blame other people for your lack of holiness. You have to look at yourself for your lack of holiness. And God is calling each one of us to live holy lives. See, just as Israel is culpable for her sin, so we also are culpable for our sin. And this is what I want to focus our time on today. I want us to consider this one question and this only. Are you... Pursuing holiness. Are you pursuing holiness in every facet of your life? Or is it just something that's a, a just a secondary thought? Something that seems so unattainable that you don't even try. Are you pursuing holiness? See, from the beginning of Israel's journey, God, what did he tell them? What did God tell Israel in Exodus chapter 19? He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's not talking to just the priests. He's talking to the entire chosen people of God. So while the priests did sin, God told his people from the very beginning that that they, all of God's people, were called to be priests. All of them were called to live holy lives. And the priests were supposed to just simply be meant to be a, an illustration for them. And they were a poor illustration at that. But then the Apostle Peter picks up this same language in his letter, doesn't he? He writes to a bunch of exiles, the, the church that's been scattered. Very, very similar to what's happened here in Lamentations. And Peter writes to, these, to this church that's been scattered all across the globe. And what does he tell to these exiles? What does he say to them? He picks up on Moses' language from Exodus. And he says, but you, Christian, you, church, are a what? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And what are we called to do? Well, he goes on to say that you may proclaim that you are a chosen race, that you may proclaim the excellencies of. Of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's saying that you, if you call yourself Christian, are a priest. Period. See, not only were you supposed to proclaim God's excellencies, but we're supposed to also proclaim his excellencies as what he's done in our lives to other people. It's not just a when I get my stuff together. No, we are called to be priests. He doesn't tell you to be a priest. He says that you are a priest already. So how are you doing in that priesthood? It's what we call a priesthood of all believers. You're a priest. I'm a priest. We're the priests together. All around the world, people are waiting for God's priests, men and women, to proclaim the excellencies of God having called us out of darkness into his light. That's what the world needs now. And right now we have a whole bunch of priests who are acting like the world, who are acting like any other, <laughs> any other person in the world because we want so much to be liked and we want so much to be accepted. And we have a whole bunch of Hophni and Phineases running around when God is saying, Be holy as I am holy. 
See, the priests in Lamentations, the priests throughout Israel's time, what did they start doing? Well, they were using people for their own benefit. Right? They, were, they, were, they were taking things from the people. They were not serving the people. They were looking to people for their own significance. They began to take advantage of the people. They began to think that people existed for their benefit, for their comfort. So let me ask you this, priest. Do you find yourself prone to look to other people to satisfy what only God can satisfy in your life? Do you worry about being liked by that person or that group of people? See, I thought this was something that we dealt with in high school, honestly, that we wanted to be part of the cool crowd. But it goes on until forever from what I've seen. See, we've got a whole bunch of people that are overworking themselves and trying to outwork the other person because they want to be well-respected and well-loved. And so we look to other people to satisfy what only God can satisfy in our lives. And we become people slaves. And before you start listing off people that fit into that category, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know that person. They do that. They, they're trying to get people's approval. I would submit to you that so do you. I'd submit that we have a problem in the church today and where we have a lot of priests who are more concerned about what other people think than as opposed to what God thinks. We, we care more about being accepted when we've already been accepted by the maker and creator of all people? Do you find yourself gravitating towards more successful people instead of gravitating towards those who are not like you? (laughs) How many of us can attest to going to a church and and you've got little groups of people like, oh, they're just just like a high school cafeteria sometimes, right? Instead of a church looking like, oh my goodness, why are they talking about that? That's incredible. (laughs) Wow, they must have something in common that I don't see. (laughs) That's the kind of church, that's the kind of priesthood that God is calling you and me to to live out. Those who don't look like me, that I'm going to go draw near to them. And you say, man, I I agree with you. Then why aren't, aren't we doing that? Why are we so consumed by wanting to be in the cool crowd. And the question is, have you forgotten your calling? Have you forgotten your calling to live a priesthood, a holy priesthood? And as one author famously said, he said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. My friends, what our world needs now more than ever, and I'm going to say this twice because I think it bears repeating. What our world needs now more than ever are courageous Christians who don't cower in the face of a culture that is constantly trying to coax them into complacency. That's intentional. There's a lot of C's in there. What the world needs now more than ever are courageous Christians. Not well-liked Christians. Courageous Christians. Who don't cower in the face of a culture that's constantly trying to coax them into complacency. Those are all selected very specifically. Because the world would try to lull you to sleep. That the world is trying to lull you and distract you from what the most important things in life are. From being a priest. From declaring God's excellencies. The world would just lull you to sleep. 
Get you to worry more about renovations on your house. Get you to worry more about whether you're accepted by that group of people. Get you to worry more about your paycheck even. What, what the world needs is not for you to have a pluff bank account. What the world needs are Christians who have the courage to talk about Jesus. We need priests whose robes aren't dirty by the world, who don't attend church on Sunday and live secret lives, hoping that no one looks at their, their browsing history. How many of our people in our city attend church and sing songs, close their eyes in prayer? And the thought of holiness is not even more than just a guilty thought or something in the back of their mind. And maybe you found yourself, yeah, I really need to stop that or I really need to start that. But then you just go on to the next thing. Say, I guess I, I guess I won't. I'd encourage you to delve down deep into that, that God, by his spirit, is calling you as his priest to reconsider how you're living your life. So are you marching in step to holiness? Are you marching towards holiness? Are you moving towards holiness? See, Jesus, what did he tell us? What did he tell us? He said, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Someone may reply, well, you know, well, he's God. So he's perfect and I can't be perfect. And so I'm not even going to try. Friends, he's, he's certainly not saying anything less. Certainly not saying anything less than emulate your heavenly father. And we heard that in 2 Corinthians that we are called to emulate who God is in our lives. God is holy. Therefore, be holy. He's not telling you you got to be perfect. Maybe. He has to actually, Jesus said those same things too, right? Be perfect as your father is perfect. So we we move towards that. You don't just say, I can't be perfect. Therefore, I'm not going to even try. No, he's calling you ever more one degree of glory to another to emulate, to look like Jesus for other people. And so God is calling his priests to look like Jesus. He's telling you to have your heart cleansed and repeatedly washed and shaped in the likeness of your heavenly father. And so the question, are you washing yourself in holiness? So the question is, what is holiness? What is holiness? If we're called to be holy, what is that holiness that God's calling us to to be and to do? Well, it simply means to be wholly devoted. That's what it means. I mean, if you were to distill it down into one word, it's wholly devoted to one thing. You had vessels in the temple. They were wholly devoted to the service of the temple. Right? A clinging to him, a devotion to God. You've seen his excellencies and like a moth to a flame, you can't help but keep going back to him day after day after day. So are you guided by holiness? Are you guided by holiness? See, maybe even in, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> this, is, this is heavy. This is, this is a high calling. Well, I, I, I submit to you that many churches today are not preaching about holiness. It's something that scares us because we know our frailties. We know that we're broken, and so we don't want to talk about holiness. We don't want to talk about this call that God calls his people. And and what I'm talking about is I'm talking about these imperatives that God has called us to be and to do based upon the indicative of him calling you out of darkness. 
It's not based upon what you do that God accepts you. He's already accepted you in Jesus, but he says, therefore, be holy as I am holy. See, the world doesn't need a a royal priesthood to fight for acceptance by other people. The world doesn't need another priest whose robes look beautiful on the outside, who's well-groomed, who who makes sure he doesn't say four-letter words and doesn't go to that movie and doesn't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a deep abiding holiness that starts in the heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So are you delighting in God? That's the primary question. Do you find your satisfaction in God? That's where your holiness comes from. It comes from on the inside. It's not an outside conformity. That's where the world gets it wrong. And that's where Christians get it wrong a lot of times. Is that if I just polish the outside, well, inside are dead men's bones, as Jesus said. What he's calling us to do is to be a different kind of people and then do what different kind of people do. See, the world needs radically committed, holy people devoted to what? One thing. One person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Wholly devoted to him. The world needs now more than ever not another priest that looks like the world, talks like the world, smells like the world. The world needs someone that serves another king. In another kingdom. Who's not satisfied with just being accepted here on this earth. Because this earth is passing away. It will dissolve like snow. And the sun shall be no more. Because God himself will be our sun. He will provide light for all of us in the new heavens and new earth. And that's what we aim towards. And that's what we tell other people about. That's the light that he's called us into. And that's the light that we testify to. The world needs... A royal priesthood that treats each other differently, too. The world needs to be able to walk into our congregation and say they they treat each other a little differently. They act a little differently. There's something genuine about this. There's something, hmm, it's not like my other experiences where people feign that they care. No, there needs to be an abiding. Why? Because that's why people were drawn to Jesus, isn't it? Because he loved them. He he had a deep abiding love for his heavenly father. So, church, are we reflecting holiness? Are we reflecting holiness? Because we're not called to be holy so that God likes us. (laughs) You've got to hear that. But we're called no less to be holy. See, we, 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 we draw this line and, and we think like God's not calling us to be holy people. We sell ourselves short of all that God has created us to be and to do in this world. Because holiness is not just outside conformity to some kind of religious standard. But it is a, a deep well of joy. And it's beautiful. The holiest people are the most beautiful people. Not the ones who condemn and look down their noses at other people. Because they've already found their joy in God. And so... They have no need to condemn and judge other people. But they come alongside people knowing that they have been loved and accepted by God. So I I would love for myself and for our church to be marked by that kind of holiness. A kind of holiness that can lay down its life for other people. That parks in the back of the parking lot so that other people can park closer. A kind of holiness that asks somebody and listens to the answer of, How was your week? Let me pray for you right now. How can I serve you? 
and genuinely meaning it rather than that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not talking about what you're supposed to do. I'm talking about something that overflows from your heart. God needs priests who are holy as God is holy. Let me, in case you're... You find yourself rebutting a little bit. I want, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to read this and I'll give you a couple other passages you can um, that you can read in your own time. But just listen to how what, what is Paul's logic in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. What's he say? He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And again, that comes after the first three chapters that is replete with who you are in Jesus he died for sinners. He died for sinners. He died for you. He died for me to make us, what does he say? To be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You can go also to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. Paul's whole argument against living like the world is why? To live lives of holiness that God has called. And these are the Corinthians. These are people that have, that have you know, He's reminded them of who they are. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. Then you go to Hebrews chapter 12 where he says, Without holiness you cannot see God. Without holiness you won't see God. And so after hearing all of this, you say, wow, where's the good news and all that? Well, hopefully you've been listening to everything else I've been saying. There's been good news the entire time. If, if you know Jesus, you are a priest. If you don't know Jesus, you're not a priest of God yet. And he's calling you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. That's how you become a priest. You'll become a priest and then Jesus likes you. No. And you may be finding yourself coming to the end of yourself. You may find that you want to pursue holiness, but you're so aware of your sins. I, I can't get over that. I can't get over the sin. It's just constantly setting me back. It's tying me up, and I can't get over this. And so you may be finding yourself just kind of very heavy right at this moment, as I was as I was writing this. <laughs> I'm not in any kind of boat that's any different than y'all. But I think that's a good place to be. I think that's a good place to be where we come to a place where like, I, I, I don't even want to be holy. I don't want to pursue holiness. I don't want to march towards, towards holiness. I don't want to be washed by holiness. I don't want any of that, really. I just want to have a nice, comfortable life, man. You see, what God is doing, even in this moment, is trying to bring you to an end of yourself, to where you quit relying on yourself. That's the whole point. So let's look at this good news in verse 18. What does he say? 
They dogged our steps. Speaking about Babylon, this is in Lamentations 4, chapter 4, verse 18. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. And so once you acknowledge and come to the end of yourself, that's where God does his most glorious work. Is when you stop trying to say, looky, looky what I did. So you say, I can't. And you throw yourself on the mercy of God because the Lord is gracious and kind. That there is an end. He has to bring you to an end of yourself. That your day is numbered to where you will quit relying on yourself. Right? But then there's an end to his chastisement. The Lord doesn't just keep pressing in on you. Even after you confess your sins. He doesn't continue to take you through the grist of the mill unless you refuse to repent of your sin. If you refuse to repent of your sin and you say, no, I got this, I'm going to try even harder, then he'll continue to grind. He'll continue to press down on you until you are done. Once you relent of your strength and you say, I can't even walk in my street, I can't even walk. That's when the Lord does his work. Because what do we look at in verse 22? The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Because, my friends, and this is the great news that makes holiness even possible. Is that because as priests we serve under the headship of a chief shepherd, a greatest of all high priests. The high priest to end all high priests. The high priest that all priests are to point to and were intended to point to. That though he was tempted, did not dirty his robes. The blood that was on his robes was not of the righteous. It was of the righteous one. He laid down his life and blood was all over his robes. And that we can approach the throne of grace because this great high priest has gone in before us. And has made a way for you and for me so that we can actually live holy lives because he's given us his spirit to do it. And so what do we do? Like we sang a moment ago, we keep calling out to him. As we sin as his priests and his children, we're disciplined. That's true. And we're reminded of our need of him. And so we keep crying out to him. We keep turning to him. And that's the whole point is that it's this constant, Lord, forgive me. You're forgiven. Forgive me. You're forgiven. And we keep moving closer and closer towards holiness because he is is trying to purify us. Like this gold that has been tarnished, he takes it and he's refining it. He's burning out all of this impurity in our lives day by day, repentance after repentance. So what what hope do we have? Is that our days are numbered because Jesus himself has freed us. If that doesn't grip your heart, check your pulse. If that just becomes something that you're like, oh, okay, cool, that's nice. Well, God has freed you from that sin, from that anxiety, from that need to do more. And he says, rest in me. I've accomplished it. Now go. <laughs> Come to me and go. That's the beauty Of what Jesus has done for us as his priests. And he's called us to live holy lives. And so all of this takes place in in that. That we can't blame, keep blaming 
our leaders. We can't blame other priests because we ourselves, brothers and sisters, are God's priests. And he's calling you and me to live those kind of holy lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that oftentimes we hear sermons on holiness and they make us feel guilty. They make us feel like we're not doing enough. And yet, even within this passage, we hear the grace of the gospel. That yes, we are not going to be perfect, but we are still called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Even as our Heavenly Father is holy, we are called to be holy. Father, forgive us for being so distracted by our own issues and our own sin that we fail to see we fail to see the goodness of what you have already done for us in Jesus. And that's why we're so afraid sometimes. That's why we're so distracted sometimes. So Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that we would live holy lives. You've called us priests already. We pray that we would be holy priests to you and that we would help others come to know Jesus because of what you've already done in our lives, that to declare the excellencies that you have brought us, even us, out of darkness into your marvelous light, the kingdom of your beloved Son. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.